We're, de- we're delighted to have Pastor Kelvin Gardner and his wife Jill traveling around the world and stopping here in Hong Kong for a few weeks. They are uh, no strangers to AIC and uh, have been involved in ministry here in the past. And we're delighted that Pastor Kelvin will be sharing the message this morning and for the next two weeks. And we look forward to your ministry here with us during this time. So let's give uh, Pastor Kelvin a welcome here and be sure to welcome Jill as you see her after the service. Thank you. Always feel welcome when we come here. Excuse me. We've been in China for quite a few weeks, uh, mainly in Yunnan province at the heights, 3,500 meters at one time. The body creaks, but stayed intact. Then uh, the last uh, three weeks we've been in uh, Fujian province. Now we come back here. Let me say your air is cleaner. And let me say your winds are cooler. And we're very happy to be here. I want to share with you some of the lessons God's teaching me as I get a little older. When I was this high, people would stop me, pat me on the head with hair on it and say... So what do you want to do when you grow up? And then through our adult life, when we meet new people, early in that conversation, doesn't it, it comes up, what do you do? And now, in so-called retirement, nobody asks me anything, but I ask myself, what did I do? And did it count? And is there more to learn? And when I talk to God about that, he says very clearly there is more to learn. And there are lessons not only to learn, but the lessons you've learned need to be put into practice. And so in these three Sundays, uh, God willing, I wanted to share with you how he's been speaking to me, teaching me and reteaching me, and calling for my obedience. I want to talk today about giants that face us in life. Uh, Firstly, to look at those that discourage us or even want to destroy us and then to consider some of them that present themselves as opportunities to grow in our Christian walk. Giants, in my uh, analysis, are those things that come and disrupt. They come unwanted. They cause or create fear. Often they bring on mistrust among the people that once we trusted. And uh, they come to all of us as individuals. They come to us as churches and pastors. Uh, Some things that don't seem like a giant to you become a giant to someone else. If you're a pastor, you know that when you announce the service time will be changed starting next week, you have a giant on your hands. Because that doesn't suit everyone. And dare I say it, when you announce to the congregation that maybe in the future there will be a change of venue of the worship, there's a giant that looms in some people's minds very high and very obstructive. In our personal life, we can face giants in any number of one, any number of cases. Some of us here today may even be experiencing a giant disrupting our marriage or our health, or our livelihood, finances, our family. These things come to us and largely uh, dominate our mind 
and often they cause fear. Uncertainty, the things that cast a shadow on our life as giants. I'm not unfamiliar with giants in my own life and I speak out of some experience today but I want us to be assured by what God would say about giants and even what he said to us in some of those songs that we sang this morning. So let's start with perhaps the most famous giant story in the Bible found in 1 Samuel 17 verses 48 to 50. It's quite a long reading there. But we pick it up with uh, David with some five stones in his pouch. As Goliath moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck Goliath on the forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over Goliath with a sling and a stone and without a sword in his hand, he struck down Goliath and killed him. One stone. The unarmed boy, teenager I would have thought, knocked out the Philistine armed giant Goliath. Uh, David wasn't even meant to be there. His mother had given him a lunchbox for his older brothers who were fighting the battle. He said, here, take this lunchbox to your brothers. And he showed up with uh, a lunchbox and then he gave some cheese we read to the uh, commanding officers and then said, what's going on? And they told him. And uh, like a lot of teenagers, he said, well, I'll do it. But David had more than just, more than just teenage... Um, am I doing that a little wrong there? He had more than just teenage bravado. He had God on his side. And so his older brothers and some others told him he was being arrogant. But he went back, got the stones and he fought the giant. He had a great victory. And when you have a victory like that, you don't forget it, and you live your life in a different light from that. And we at times, as we face giants, hope and indeed believe that God could come and do a miracle in our life, and we want it to happen. Uh, I have a pastor in Seattle who's an old friend of mine. He's been following our journeys and telling us what we need to learn to chop chopsticks again, to get into rice and noodles and all those things. But today he knew I would be speaking to you. And he said, tell them, Kelvin, tell them that the Bible is not a book about what God can do only. Tell them it's also a book about what he will do in our lives as we trust him. And so I'm coming to you today to tell you that while David... Did, I mean, God did a marvelous thing for David. God can do and God will do marvelous things for us as we walk with him. Uh, my latest encounter with a giant came about a year ago when a biopsy came back and it was announced as invasive aggressive cancer. So in terms of the, uh, the little children's book that I've read to grandchildren so much, we needed a bigger digger. And they went in and they scooped out what was bad and came back with a prognosis that is telling me I don't have long to live on medical terms. I'm facing what David faced in his life, not a Goliath, because after Goliath, David had other giants that he faced. And so there's chapters in our life 
then we need to learn again the power of God in our lives and the presence of God certainly in our lives. So for that I want to take you to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21. David is uh, king now and he's up against the Philistines and it says there, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down with his servants and as they fought, David became weary. Then Ishi-Benob, who was the son of Goliath, if you've got your Bible open, it's got two different names, but believe me, that's who he was. He was the son of Goliath. And it says he intended to kill David, but David's servant helped him and struck and killed the Philistine. So the five smooth stones that had worked back there with Goliath are put aside now. They're not going to work here. It's a different scenario, a different thing. And uh, he's in a struggle, is David, because we read uh, Goliath had sons. Goliath was gone, but another one just like him came against David. At a time we read, David was weary. Giants wait until the time is right, and they are never far from us. So in our lives today, as we go with, along with God, there is a time when perhaps a giant will come unexpected. The son of a Goliath, a mighty issue that comes and confronts us, and the question is of how we will react. So as I look back, and I can now, look back quite a way, and in uh, 40 years, I think, more of pastoring and of leading pastors, I've come across some conclusions about how some of these things work, not saying they're principles, but they're patterns. And I think they're true for us in our daily life too. The giants like it when they see us as people, targets, when we are hurt, angry, lonely, and tired. That's when the giant giants can see there's an opportunity. The enemy of our souls is not inactive. He's waiting to come. And when I'm hurt, somebody said something. Somebody's written something that I'm not very pleased with. Something happened that I didn't think was fair. I'm hurt. Beware. Because that's a vulnerable point of weakness. When I'm angry and I feel that I've been hard done by, when I believe it's my right to have something that hasn't been given, when I want retribution for something that has happened, beware of the giant. And when I'm lonely, when I'm lonely, I retreat to a place and my mind tells me that I'm no longer important or valuable. My mind tells me that the people out there don't care about me. They've forgotten me. I'm no good. And the enemy is waiting to endorse that message and to say, yes, you are no good. You have no value. You don't have friends. Listen to them out there. Great song of the 1950s. There's a party going on and this man is asleep and all he can say is behind the green door. There's an old piano and they're playing it hot behind the green door, but I'm not there. Don't know what they're doing, but they laugh a lot behind the green door. Wish they'd let me in so I could find out what's behind the green door. And some of us have known that. Some of us may be experiencing that this morning, that we don't feel part of the group. There's a lot of laughter out there, but I'm not part of that group. I want to say to you today, this is the place to come when you feel lonely. 
This is the place to be. Don't hide. Don't stay away. Don't retreat. Come here and find that this is a place of love. And if nobody's talking to you, go talk to someone else. And if you were to say, I'm lonely and I need help, I know that there's a hundred more people will surround you and want to be your friend, not just to feel good, but want to come and express the love of God to you through their lives, to pray with you, to support you, to encourage you. Because I want to tell you, you are valuable to God. And we'll get to that in a minute. You may not think you're important, but God wants it. Loneliness is a time of vulnerability that the enemy of our soul loves. And then tired. And we read here that David was tired. It had been a hard journey. And so when we get tired, we lose our capacity to control our emotions a little bit. And we give way to things that under normal course we would not give way to. Uh, The enemy too, as I've found over the years, seems to have uh, a strategy when he comes to attack uh, in these areas. I'm not saying you have to be hurt, angry, lonely, tired. They make HALT as an acronym. So when these things happen, HALT and stop and renew. Guard your heart, the old wise man said, because it's the wellspring of life. That's not the only time. He can come at other times too, but I notice those are very particular times. And then he has a strategy that tends to have three shots in it. And the first one is he would like to take us further than we want to go. He would like to keep us longer than we were willing to stay originally. And he wants to charge us more than we want to pay. And perhaps the best illustration of that would be in today's terms, one of his great weapons or great venues would be the internet. And so there we sit and we've done our business and about to turn it off and something in our mind says, well, let's just stay a little longer here and have a look around. And then he'll take us further than we want to go. We turn a page and it's not one that we would normally turn to and it's one that we don't think there's any good in, but it captures attention and we go to another page and he has us staying and going further than we want to go and then he'll charge more than we pay sometimes that might include a credit card but more and more often we pay with compromise of our character we pay pay by going to places thinking things watching things doing things that we know are out of character with the walk that God would have us walk as his people. And so we sing very carefully about take my life and the words that we've sung today, but there is a time when the enemy can come under and he will make us pay more than we want to pay in these situations. So David now, in his tiredness, facing, and apparently it would seem from the script that he's almost losing this battle, as this person comes and want to, wants to destroy him. I like to think that David, in that vulnerable moment, remembered back to the teenage time when he brought the lunchbox to his friends, uh, to his brothers, and God did a mighty miracle through him. And in a sense, he would say, do it again. Uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it, He's having trouble with God because God doesn't seem to be working with him. 
And he says to him, God, I read all the stories about you, what you did in the past. I see the things that you've done, how you were for people, how you delivered people, how you conquered enemies. Lord, I know all those things and I trust you, but Lord, would you do it again in my time? And we might say that. It's great to read the early stories. I've got some good books on early missionary activity in China and in Hong Kong and people coming out from other countries and bringing the gospel and names that now are way gone. And those are great stories. But if I were you, I'd say here, Lord, do it again. Come and do it. It's not just a book about what you can do. It's a book on which we want you to do here among us. Raise us up, Lord. Do it again. So David has to make that choice. And fortunately, he has at least one servant friend who can capture the moment there and see the vulnerability, and he helps with his help. The servant helped him, and he struck and killed the giant. So the same God who helped him conquer the first giant has empowered him to overcome the son of the giant as well. So I have to ask myself, um, has the giant that came at me in perhaps my earlier life, will the same God help me not out of them but through them as he has? Uh, I recall some giants that were easily as big as the one I face now when I was a young boy of 10 and then a couple of others through life that have really been giants that knocked me over, put me aside. And God, as I say, has been faithful. At the time, I wondered where God was. But as I look back, I can see his presence. I can see his guidance. And I'm thankful that he did not remove the giant so much as helped me find a way through it and the lessons that I learned uh, out of those issues. So can I ask you, what have you done? What are you doing with the giants that are coming into your life that occupy your mind and make it hard to concentrate on the things you want to concentrate on, those things that make you fear. There's a good song around now I hear, I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. And I can sing that and say it, and that's true. But can I live it? I'm no longer a slave to fear. So can I put out of my mind or rest in God's provision and status that I have with him, I am a child of God. So here's another Old Testament person. We find him in Judges chapter 6. It's a fellow called Gideon. And we read there that when the Lord called him, he was hiding in a wine press, beating his grain in secret so that the Midianites would not steal it. Gideon was afraid of the enemy, the giant. Now, a wine press was, is an enclosed structure. And it's a very clean and sacred place these days and probably would have been back there. They squeeze the grapes and they bring them from one degree of um, uh, residue they want taken off. They pour it off and pour it off until this is the grape juice that, however they make it, it ends up in wine. So it's enclosed and it's sterile. A threshing floor for grain was totally different. One wall, the one facing the prevailing wind, would be left open because when you're threshing, however they did it, the grain to get the seed out, the good, good stuff, they want the wind to take the chaff and blow it away in the breeze. It would be dusty and horrible. And uh, Gideon is afraid. These Midianite people 
were people to be afraid of. They were ugly people. They, uh, their method was to watch out for the Israelites on the move and wait till the end of the day when some of the older, younger, or vulnerable had dropped off the pace. And then they would come out and just kill them. They were easy pickings. When they came into Israel's land, the first thing they did was just cut down, burn off all their crops, kill all their animals so there would be no food. And then they're more vulnerable to what they wanted to do to them personally. So Gideon here is afraid. He's got some grain and he wants it to be on his plate. So he goes and hides in this place. Fear makes us live differently from what we know as normal. Fear changes our patterns of behavior. And if we can learn that and then come back, no longer a slave to fear, remember that we are children of God. Well, God sends an angel to speak to Gideon, and this angel had no regard for his circumstances, but simply said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Tells me that angels have a sense of humor, because this was no valiant warrior. This was a man hiding in a wine press with his grain, probably choking on the dust. O valiant warrior. But you know, that's how God sees you and me. He sees us as his children and potentially valiant warriors, if we will allow him. So he says there, the angel does, Go in this strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So the voice of God comes to this man who's hiding and fearful. No valiant warrior, but I'm going to make you one, says God. Go in my strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I have sent you. So is it possible for you and me to look beyond our circumstances? and to see a God who doesn't see us as we see ourselves. A God who sees this crumbling, fearful, reading everything on the internet about what it is or could be, put that aside and saying, I trust in you, God. I trust in you. I'll be your valiant warrior. I will go in your strength and live the life you give me with confidence. Uh, When God sends us or calls us, he empowers us. And that's a wonderful thing to know. I don't have to go in my strength. I go in his strength. In fact, that's the only way to go, is to put my abilities aside and look to him. Gideon was doing, though, what we often do. We think we're unable or unsuitable. And so he comes back to the angel, not through yet, he says, my family is the least and I am the youngest. And uh, otherwise he's saying, I'm a nobody. Send the rich man, send, send the prince who's got the royal training, send someone else, not me. I'm from the least of families and I have no value to you. But God comes to us, whoever we are and wherever we are, and he says, no, I've called you. I want you to be my valiant warrior and I will provide the strength that will allow you to be that person. And I want you to go in my strength. Forget who you are. Forget your background. I want to take you and so you'll look back and say, who would have thought that God would use me? That God would do these things for me or through me? And you'll give praise to God. Don't hide behind walls when he calls you. The issue is not ability, it's uh, availability. If you read through the book of Judges, and it's a good read, you find that Gideon never once said no to God. 
He questioned himself and his ability, but he never said no. He was always available to the will of God. And in one case, he thinks he's going to get back at these uh, intruders, and so he starts to uh, assemble and train an army. And it comes, in a sense, he comes back to God and he says, okay, now I'll be your valiant warrior. And God says, well, I'm counting 32,000 men you've got, and that's far too many. I don't want that number. And piece by piece, he whittles it down till I think it was 300. See, the Lord doesn't deal in uh, the way we deal with things in terms of uh, supremacy or availability or readiness. He just needs us, me, you, who are prepared to do it his way and to follow him, and he will get it done. He told us the Lord's final words to us, basically, on earth. All power is given to me. Now you go and make disciples and I will be with you. And that's all we need. And so he says to us what he said to Gideon, go in this strength and deliver your people from their enemies. Have I not sent you? He's got a call on your life today as he has on mine still. And when we find that out and when we can live in the light of that call and we can be who he wants us to be, he will make us those valiant warriors. Now then, the giants that we face will win if we retreat from God to a hiding place and try to make a plan of our own. We lose, that's no good. But the giants are defeated when we fix our eyes on God and see he's not abandoned us, but will be our strength as we trust him. I know in the middle of a crisis we wonder where God is, and that is a normal reaction because sometimes we have a plan that would get us through this obstacle or this, remove this giant, but God doesn't seem to be bringing it to be. Well, I think that's a misread, and again, I've had to confess to him that he has the best way, his long term for my life is better than my own. In my Bible, I have uh, some things I wrote down, two lines I wrote down a long time ago, and I don't know who from, but I'm thankful for them. And the first one says, I may be surprised what happens to me later today or tomorrow, but God will not be surprised. I may not have the resources to cope with what happens to me today or tomorrow, but God already has those resources ready to apply as he sees fit. And I can look back now and say amen to that. In these, those times of loss or hardship that I've come across that have threatened to break down my confidence and trust in God, as I look back now, I'm so glad that I held on to what was seemed to be a sinking ship and found out that it wasn't at all. It was the rock. I was hanging on to the rock of my life who helped me through, and I trust him to do the same today. So I say to you, stay out in the open. Don't go into a hiding place when God brings uh, situations that are hurtful to your life. Allow others to come around you. This is the best place to be if you're hurting today. This is the very best place to be, in a place of love and understanding and availability of those who will help you. And can we learn together that God's apparent delays are in fact intentional and beneficial? So then, the first type of giant is the giant that wants to destroy, but now let's just take a moment and look at the giant uh, that God... That, uh, I have found, shows up to allow opportunities for God to do things uh, during disappointment and trouble. So, giants like Goliath come to destroy us, but in their destruction attempts they create a wonderful opportunity 
for God to transform. And by transform, I mean to transform our lives individually as we trust him and make ourselves available to him. And then that transformation will flow out of our lives to others around us so that as they see our life filled maybe with uh, trust and certainly with gratitude. I'm big on gratefulness these days because I find so many people my age, so many men my age are angry. And as I interact with them, I find uh, they are so discouraging and depressing and I don't want to be an angry old man. And uh, I think it starts with gratitude. And here are some of the things I've put that I'm grateful for. Can you say the same? Grateful for what he's done instead of worry about what he hasn't done. Can you be grateful for what he's given you rather than be concerned for what he's taken off you? Can we be grateful for the way he's made us rather than have a desire to be like someone else? And grateful that he chose Gideon, so that means he can chose us from among the least and youngest. We don't have to have royal lineage of any sort. Gratitude that he does not demand ability, but asks our availability. Now I have to add to that that he does want us to train and get ability. But the initial one, are you willing to follow Jesus all the days of your life? And gratitude in that, that way will lead us to a relationship, a deeper relationship with God. God and I become friends. And the old hymn says we walk together and talk together as good friends should and do. So his presence becomes more real in my life. And then that takes it outdoors, as it were. When I go out of here and to the places where I live and work and study and play, there's something that people just may ask. What is it about you that's different? When trouble comes, you're different from everyone else. I'm not saying your life situation will become rosy if you do some of these things. It may continue to sink a little further. But if we can fix our eyes on the Lord and recall his goodness, the goodness of earlier days, and that's where I focus if I look back on the goodness of God, he will give us strength to rise up in his name. And like David, we could perhaps, if we had the ability, uh, write a psalm. Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock? except our God, the God who girds us with strength and makes our way blameless. He makes our feet like the feet of a deer. Oh, I wish that. And sets us upon high places. He trains our hands for battle so that our arms can bend a bow of bronze. God promises many things in his word. He says, my word is a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Those big things that impede my seeing God as I want to invoke the word of God that will break the rock in pieces, destroy the giants of fear and doubt that want to hold us captive. I just want to go back and notice when David was preparing to face Goliath, Saul came out and offered him his battle dress. Saul actually should have been the man that had held up his hand and go into battle first, but he was a coward. And now he sees a teenager, I'll offer him my battle dress. And I think it was a gesture of goodwill. But uh, offering him his battle dress was like, you know, a four-year-old grandson trying to put on grandpa's bathrobe. It just doesn't work. And so what David did was he declined that offer and we're told he ran to the brook and kneeled there before choosing the stones. 
Now, the obvious thing is he kneeled down to find the stones, and I don't disregard that. But I have the feeling that this man, this young man who was in love with God, who spent had the shepherd's job in the family, the lowest job of all. We're going to bed, son. You go out and look after the sheep. And in those nighttime encounters, he met God. He wrote stuff. He learned from God. He learned to throw a sling. And in that, he kneels down to pick the stones, and I can hear him saying, God, you have to do this. I can't do this. He kneels before the Lord. In a later event in his life, David and his men, he's not yet king. In fact, Saul is trying to get him and kill him, and he's on his way from Saul. And he and his men go out for the day, and they forget to provide uh, safety, security, for their wives and children and livestock. And when they come back, they're at a place called Ziklag. And when they come back that night, the women and children and everything's been taken. And the men turn against David, and they're about to kill him. So what's David going to do? Here's a giant, if ever there was a giant. It says there that David left them and went to a private place to sit with the Lord. One of the translation says, to inquire of the Lord. Here's a great principle. Before the, the uh, Goliath, kneeling before God, in the midst of a crisis that's going to take his life if he's not careful, he goes and sits before the Lord. When outward circumstances were crashing down, David knew that first the inner foundation has to be secured. And I've found that so much that when I want to react to the situations, there's a little voice that speaks to me now, and it's not only my wife's voice, it's God's voice that says, whoa, no, 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 go and sit before the Lord. Wait on the Lord, read his word, wait for him. The outward signs are crashing down, but that's not going to help if your inner self is not secure. So when he came back to his men, it was in the strength and confidence of the one he'd sat with in private. He'd seen a new giant, a giant who was making available everything that was needed to turn defeat into victory. And we have that giant too. He's called the Lion of Judah, the one before whom all heaven bows and worships now, and everyone on earth one day will bow and proclaim to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he's waiting for us to respond this morning. And if we do, we will see certain things. I think we'll see a reconciliation through relationship with him at a new or deeper level. We'll go deeper in our understanding of God. And we'll give testimony to what God has done as a regular part of our life. And I think... I know that fear and worry will fade in the, faith, in the face of faith and hope in him. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, we sing. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And then the love for each other will grow in depth and intensity. This will increase this place, your desire to be here amongst these people. And then we will have unconditional trust in him when circumstances threaten harm. Why should I worry? Why should I fear? Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And we will remind ourselves every day that God is with us. The Lion of Judah, with all the authority of heaven and earth, is on our side. And as we go in his strength, he will let us see his deliverance of those held captive by giants. 
So all of this is not some dream far off. It's right now through his presence. He says, it's not by might or power, but by my spirit. But your availability is all I need. He said to Joshua, consecrate yourselves, sanctify, purify, surrender to me fully, and I'll do amazing things among you. And told Jeremiah to write this down, call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and wonderful things beyond what you're thinking. And then if we're in a lonely place and hurting, he says to you this morning, come to me. Come to me if you're tired and heavy laden and lonely. Take my burden upon you. And learn of me, for the burden I give is easy and light, and you will find rest for your soul. I pray that God would help you to face and embrace the giants that come our way, and that we'll trust in him, that the inner life will be strengthened so the outer life can see the victory that God wants for every one of us. May God bless his word to us. Can I pray with you? Lord, our prayer is that we would trust you in circumstances where it seem like giants that disrupt. We want to say, be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. And some of us from experience can say that as a testimony, and all of us can pray that in the knowledge that it's true intellectually, and we can make it true experientially. Breathe to thy God to honor and provide. And every move he faithful will remain so lord we ask for your faithfulness to be appreciated and responded to that we would be the valiant warriors we would not put up excuses but we would trust you and we would see you in your time and in your way lead us through a path that as we look back is marked by your goodness and grace in our lives this is our prayer in jesus name Amen. I invite you.